Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Morning Deuce Podcast. It's Friday. We have an interview. We're interviewing my great friend, uh, Las Vegas reporter Cindy Lunderberg. And it's a very long interview, but it's fascinating because she basically reinvestigated a murder case, and now that case is open once again. So if you were a fan of Making a Murderer or, you know, um, Serial, Sarah Koenig reinvestigated Adnan Saeed's piece. They found all this new evidence. It's being reinvestigated. It's along that same way, same wavelength. So Cindy's great. The interview is fantastic. You can find her um, on the internet for sure if you search her and on Facebook, Cindy Lundeberg. And then make sure in the meantime you're finding me on the internet by subscribing to the Morning Deuce podcast, giving it five stars, and sharing it with your friends. Subscribe Monday through Friday. We're always here. We got those Friday interviews. Um, and Cindy's a great one, so without further ado, I'll get on over to her. All right, so here I am, Morning Deuce. I'm with my wonderful, beautiful, and very awesome friend, Cindy Lunderberg, who is, or as I call her, Cindy Lunderberger, who is a reporter out of Las Vegas. Hi, Cindy. Hi, Dave. I'm so happy to talk to you. I know. You were my first ever guest on this podcast. That's amazing. I know. That's when I'm like super famous. That's going to be like part of your Twitter bio. I'm, I'll, I'll put it in my resume. Yeah, in your resume and your Twitter bio. That's going to be like a really good two truths and a lie. And you're going to be like, I was the first ever guest on essentially what is the Howard Stern show, except not. It's going to be so cool. It's like so weird that I was basically the first person on it. So. I know. I know. I wouldn't have it any other way. So Cindy is amazing. Uh, the last time she was on here... We were talking about the case that has O.J. OJ in jail. Yeah, because you um, talk with the guy who was there and the whole memorabilia deal and all of that stuff, which was pretty epic. Um, Are you still working on trying to see if O.J. will ever talk to you from jail or has that ship sailed? Um, I get letters like once a month once twice a month from this guy that says he's writing on oj's behalf and i was like this is super sketchy like how do i even know right mm-hmm. so i called the prison the prison pio mm-hmm. and i was like and her name's brooke keith and i was like hey like i'm getting these um letters i didn't know if they were legit if they were like and she said that OJ had arthritis, and so, and he's kind of like a celebrity in the jail. So he makes, like, he has a couple people that he makes write letters for him. Oh, wow. So it's legit. Your spidey senses well, were tingling. That's what she said. And it's this man named Vernon. Mm-hmm. And, but I also am like, you know, I don't know. It's, it's like I should show you this guy's handwriting. It's actually calligraphy. It's like the most beautiful writing I've ever seen. Oh wow! Uh, but and in the letter, I referenced um, Charlie Ehrlich, the guy that I went to Miami to interview. Yep. And then the person oh, that friend. was writing for the person that was writing referenced um, a story that OJ and Charlie had. So I don't know. I just would. I don't know. I've just kind of given up a little bit because I, I don't know. It's just weird. The whole thing's weird to me. Is, is it would it would the Vegas uh, correctional system or whatever, if OJ approved it, let you do an on camera interview with him? Would that even ever no. happen? Yeah. So basically, you'd have to get like a phone call with him or some other less exciting right. television yeah. media thing. Well, the NDOC, the Nevada Department of Corrections, mm-hmm. actually hates me because my station is in the process of possibly threatening to sue, possibly doing legal action, because they keep denying interviews that I want to do, including this case that we're going to talk about today with Kirsten Blaise Lobato. They will not approve me to talk to her. And so they just kept denying me talking to her. And so I was like, hey, maybe they're... uh, just denying me talking to her. So then I put in a request for a different inmate. They said no. Um, And then they were like, well, you can do a story on our cosmetology program, a.k.a. they want me to do, like, PR pieces, but not... real news things. I think think you... We're in the process of fighting with them. Didn't you um, put up some 
post on Facebook because I gently stalk you because I know you're going to be a superstar. So I want my Twitter tagline to be like, Cindy, the superstar, is actually my best friend. Um, so didn't you – didn't someone write a piece that like was kind of inspired by you that was essentially like the Nevada Correctional Institution yeah. is – more or less inhibiting free speech and like is basically is. illegally denying re- reporting that is the problem is because imagine that an inmate was being raped imagine uh, a prison guard was bringing in drugs um, how our taxpayer dollars pay for these institutions we deserve to know that they are running correctly and efficiently and without media having access to ask these questions and be invited inside prisons like it's very scary and whatnot so the guy that wrote that article about me is uh an attorney and i have been consulting him on exactly what i should be saying to the department whenever i fight with them Uh and and so yeah he like wrote this thing and then i had like asked him not to use my name because I was, I just, I don't know. You were working with them. It could only hurt you. Mm -hmm. But I have, like, nightmares that, like, I'm going to be, like, framed for something. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I swear to God. Like, I'm losing it. You're an an awesome person. You wouldn't survive very long in jail. Jail's not a good environment for you. (laughs) Um, But... Yeah. Well, I was two two thoughts come to my head. One, when I read that, it was like right when Orange is the New Black came out, the most recent series, and like Mm -hmm. in the most recent season, I don't even know if you watched it, but basically like bad bad things are happening in the prison, and he's like trying to figure out how to not let it get out in terms of like PR and all that stuff. So when that was happening, I was like, oh look, there's a prison trying to make sure that people can't figure out what's going on inside the prison. Well, a few, um, I don't, I don't know this. It was before I was in Las Vegas, so I might have some of the facts wrong, but the general gist is at a prison here in Nevada, prison guards were basically, you know, do you remember what, like, bum fights were? Yeah, they were just, like, beating the shit out of homeless people and then giving them, like, five bucks at the end. They were basically, like, bribing the the inmates to fight each other. Oh, yeah, okay. Recording it Mm -hmm. and, like, all that stuff. And I think one of them got a gun and shot the other one or strangled her or something like that. But it came out through an investigation that this had been going on for months and months and months. And that's what they had normally been doing on Friday nights. And it's like, what the heck? Like, no wonder you don't want media in there. Yeah. You know? So bad. The second thing is I learned that, like, the prison system is such a profitable business because – they have an, they have like an endless supply that there's actually banks that have stocks in prisons. People can take out oh. stocks in prisons because they're publicly like traded some of them are publicly traded entities from what I understand. Right. And I mean it's like, yeah, people, politicians have stocks in prison. Um and then when, Which is uh, kinda like seems backwards that like the people putting people in place deciding on whether or not people are guilty and how long their sentences are also have a vested interest in keeping jails filled and filled as long as possible. Well, when they open up jail in any city they or county or whatever, they actually sign an agreement with the city or county that they will keep the prison. It's usually around sixty whatever 60% full which means that they have an incentive to continue filling the prison so yeah there's a lot of problems with the prison um I am currently fighting my own battle with the prison but it all started when they wouldn't it started a year ago so last I started working on this case like last January so I've been fighting with them for access to one inmate for a year now Mm -hmm. and I before we talk about this I want to send one sentence out there and say that You've been on the opposite side of this where you kind of investigated something, a case back when you worked in Tennessee, and you had someone who was in jail actually end up going to jail for longer. So this isn't like Cindy thinks everyone should be free. This is like I'm a good reporter and I see something was wrong and I'm trying to fix it so that the right thing happened, whether that means more or less time in jail. I think that's kind of important to note. It's not like you're out there Robin Hooding the shit out of everybody. You're kind of trying to make the right thing happen. No, I 
I understand that, like, while I do have a lot of grievances with the prison system, the you know, sentencing, all of that, I do recognize that prisons are law enforcement, um, even prison guards, that whole, that entire legal system is vitally important to keeping me and you safe. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I just, yeah, I mean, and I don't know of another case where I truly believe that a person is innocent. You know, I've had people be like, I, I didn't do it, or I didn't, you know, and I'm like, oh, Including O.J. O.J. is a different, O.J.'s case is like, it, there's just so many things that are interesting about it, and it's, it's such like a sexy story, because it's a celebrity, and the, but I mean, I, I think the people that love O.J. believe he didn't do it, because mm-hmm. they love him, mm-hmm. but I think if, we, if you look at the facts, I think that it's, Tough. It's a tough spot. It's a tough spot, yeah. All right, so let's get into this case that you're so passionate about and the reason that you're on here today, and that is because you've basically spent the last year kind of investigating um, this woman who's been in jail for what you feel like makes absolutely no sense. So how did that story come up? And take me through that in the beginning. Like, How did this story even make its way onto your desk and into a point where you started investigating it? And why don't you tell everyone who Kristen is is it Kristen or Kirsten? Kirsten. Kirsten. Tell tell us who she is and what exactly happened. Okay, so is that this is I feel like the way I found the story is gonna be sound so freaking lame. Okay, so I had just moved to Las Vegas and um, I moved in November. I didn't actually start work till December and um, it was like my second week of work and we had a sweet meeting and okay. I was like it, it was sweeps. coming up. Everyone, just so everyone knows, sweeps is when, like, you're getting judged by everyone who's important, and that determines a lot of the funding and the salaries and everything. So it's, like, the most important – think of it as, like, finals week for a news station. Yeah. So you have to do amazing stories. And I was like, shit, like, it's but this is, like, my first week period here. Like, I need to, like, you know, do something great, you know? And so – these pieces that do well, um, a lot of times have to do with what's going on in the world. So when I did the OJ one, it was like when that new show was back on and et cetera, et cetera. So when I was looking for sweet pieces, uh, making a murderer was um, super big, you know? And so I was like, okay, like, you know, here's a guy that claims that he's, you know, wrongfully convicted. Let's find someone in Nevada that claims they're wrongfully convicted. And dig and into it a little bit. What? And dig into it. Sarah Koenig it, and if you will, to make yeah, a reference exactly. to another podcast, which there are some weird underlying things with the fact that that's what Sarah Koenig did and then Adnan Saeed's case was reopened. So I don't want to say you're Sarah Koenig because she's a little annoying and I love you, but like you might sort of be Sarah Koenig. But anyway, so you're looking for yeah. a murderer who so is wrongly I convicted. Mm-hmm. Um, and I started looking into it and, um, and it was, uh, I found it, there was like a couple articles online, um, and then like the local news didn't really do a good job covering it. So I was like, oh, that wasn't, you know? And then, um, I found like the, the, her family had like a website justice for Kirsten. I was like, oh, that's pretty like biased, you know? Then, um, I found like a former FBI profiler who actually wrote, a book about it that's online for free and I was like this is interesting mm-hmm. so I like thumbed through the book because I was like this guy used to be an FBI supervisor so he's like no joke you know yeah so if he's so, taking the time um, to write a book then he must have some thoughts he, yeah so he also did stuff for Amanda Knox so this guy's like been around yeah and uh, so I started like looking at this case and then I was like wow this is super interesting so um, uh, and so, like, basically, I hadn't, I didn't have any police docs, I didn't have anything at this point, so I found this family, and I contacted the mom, and I was like, hey, I'd love to do a story, like, whatever, you know, and then she's like, you can do the story, I want you to go through every single piece of police document, everything that I have, if you want to do the story at the end, then we can and I was like, okay, you know. All right, lady. And, All right, I see you. You want me to actually do my journalism before I just 
make a dis- an assumption about the story. How 2016 of her to assume that you would just find one thing and then make a story out of it, like Twitter on TV. Right. Totally. And I'm very thankful she did that because, first off, like, I a lot of times um, it's hard to get every single document and every, like, she was an open book. She said, re- take, you know what I mean, take everything. And so, um, yeah, so I went through that and I... I, without ever even doing any interview, without ever even talking to Kirsten, she goes by Blaze, but her name is Kirsten, so Kirsten Lovato, but her name is Blaze. Mm-hmm. Um, it's her middle name. So yeah, without ever even meeting or talking to Blaze, I was like, how the hell is this girl convicted? Mm-hmm. So why don't we go here? This is a good time to explain why she's okay. convicted of murder and what actually happened. Okay, so this is, it's, it's kind of complicated, so... Yeah, there's like a... No, I get it. Yeah. I saw okay. it. There's a rape involved, and it gets it gets a little crazy. Yeah, okay. So, this is what seals the deal for me, um, is... Okay, so there was this guy. His name was Duran Daly. Mm-hmm. Um, he was found murdered um, in, like, a trash enclosure. Okay. So, this guy had a pretty bad rap sheet um he had sold drugs he had been convicted of attempted murder like this guy was no joke like he you know he's he was had some issues right yeah he's on the wrong side of the tracks yeah for for quite some time so a less than a week before his body is found a woman calls metro police her name's diane parker diane parker calls police and says this man raped me, like, right? And he said he's going to kill me. He keeps coming back to my apartment. And Metro Police were, like, in the transcripts, too. I wish I had him in front of me, but they were like, are you sure you were raped? Like, are you sure you didn't consent? Like, you know, all that bullshit. Uh-huh. And, all right, and so she was like, no, he's going to kill me. He's going to kill me. I need protection. In the transcript, I remember this, the officer was like, you got to do what you got to do to keep yourself safe, okay? That was Less his, that was his, that's his version of protection is figure it out. That, that's what he says. You got to do what you got to do to keep yourself safe. A Less than a week after she claims that she's raped, she's found dead 100 yards from Diane Parker's boyfriend's apartment. So her name is Diane Parker, this woman? So she's, she's found. No longer living. She's found dead a hundred yards from her boyfriend's apartment. Who is a th- he? He's a second man. Yeah. So imagine if you had a girlfriend. Uh-huh. She was raped by this dude, and then the dude is found dead. The dude is found dead a hundred yards from my apartment, or the girl is found dead a hundred yards from my apartment. Diane, no, Diane Parker. Diane Parker's alive. Okay. She, she was alive. She died a few years later. A few years ago. Okay, but the guy but, is found dead a hundred yards from my apartment. The guy who supposedly yeah. raped my girlfriend and like won't leave her alone. Yeah. Okay, people so, people yeah. should be like maybe thinking that I maybe would be a suspect in this type of thing. Exactly right. That's the, that's the immediate thought. And so I went to where the body was found. I can see the apartment where like that's how close the apartments are. It's like. It's not even across the street. It is like I could pick up a rock and hit the apartment complex. From where her boyfriend lived to where this yeah, body, where was, body found. was found. and where she technically like lived with him, um, but it was his apartment. And was this guy ever convicted of rape? Our deceased person here. Well, he well he died before, and police never investigated her rape at all. Did she push charges or anything like that? It was seven days, and police never followed up on her rape. And that's why I believe that I think she was freaked out. I think that they thought that he was... Because after he raped her, according to what she said to police, he came back, so he had raped her. He came back again, tried to rape her again. Her guy friends that lived in the apartment complex where she lived with her boyfriend, they got him, they grabbed him, and... They grabbed Duran Daly and they said, if you come near her again, we're going to kill you. And then he is found dead. Okay. And she lived with her boyfriend? Yes. So this is essentially 100 yards from their house. Where she and their house. 
exactly. And police didn't investigate the alleged the alleged right. rape that she filed yeah. like a week earlier. She had, um, if I remember correctly, um, she had a little bit of a uh, record too. If I remember, I believe it was like some prostitution possibly some drug charges. Okay. Um, so I think they were just like, meow. Like, they looked you know. at her and they were like, this is someone that's like a candidate that could maybe be a little bit more flippant with an allegation. Maybe. Yeah. And so what she told, I, I apologize, this is graphic, but she told police, um, I was anally raped. Mm-hmm. And she had two black eyes. Like, her, like she, she had pictures she had two black eyes and she had a slit on her neck from where he held a knife to her neck so where so when they found duran bailey's body his penis was cut off and there was a knife in his like someone stuck a knife in his ass okay and i'm like he also had two black eyes and a cut on his neck like she had so basically, there were some similarities to how she was um, left as a victim right. of this alleged scenario and how he... And that kind of makes sense. Like, when someone's genitals are mutilated, it's usually because the crime on one side or the other is a sexual crime, obviously. Well, when I talked to that FBI profiler, he was like, this is a revenge killing. He's like, it doesn't get more... Like, he's like, anally raped knife like in the anus like he raped her his penis is cut off like you know what i mean it's just like it fits it fits it fits okay okay and so how does blaze because that name's easier to say than kirsten factor into this entire story okay so this is my this is like my personal belief is um police didn't investigate duran daly's murder at all like if you look at the police record it is like they gave zero shit and why just because they were like oh this guy's a criminal and the lady who called about him is kind of a is kind of like i would say is like the detective if if the sheriff went to the detective and was like what the heck like where is everything if that detective said hey there are so many murders there are so many rapes in las vegas that that there's so many child abductions you fill in the blank that deserve my attention more than this, you know, then I think the sheriff would be like, you know, you're, you're probably right. You know what I mean? Like this was a, not the best guy, you know, he had been a char- accused, like a uh, found guilty of attempted murder. Like he, you know what I mean? So I just think that the caseload, the, the caseload was just too intense for the detectives and law enforcement that they were just like, this one's not high enough on the chart. Right. So, the case kind of stalled. Like, nothing happened. They, um, and then so on, okay, also I should say, at the crime scene where Duran Bailey was found, um, so he, he also, there was semen, pubic hair, um, and chewing gum, male DNA, obviously the semen, and male footprints all at the crime scene. And it was not his, and it was obviously not his DNA. Not his DNA, and so I I tried to figure out where that semen came from. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if he was raped because he raped her. The point is, there was somebody there that was a man. Okay, and this is like a thousand percent obvious and documented in everything, like a thousand percent, one hundred percent. And that DNA to this day has never been tested. So they just know it's male DNA, but they've never tested it and put it in a lab to figure out if it matches someone in the database. Matches, yes. And so the Innocence Project in New York is working on this case. Mm-hmm. And they've even told our district attorney, they're like, we'll pay for the freaking testing. Like, like there was there was gum that um, had two different types of blood in it. So I'm imagining someone was chewing it, got punched. And then it mixed with the blood that was that was already in the area. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. So there's definitely there was like cigarette butt. There was you, so, okay. So and you know what's time. crazy? I just, very quick aside. There was a case in North Carolina where DNA testing got so much better that they retested a cigarette butt that they'd used to convict someone yeah. who was on death row, 
and it turns out that the DNA on the cigarette butt didn't match him, and he was set free, and that he was basically tor- he was tortured into a confession 35 or 40 yeah. years earlier, and then when he like tried to recant, no one would let him recant, and it took DNA testing like 30 years to improve enough that they could still test the DNA that was on the cigarette butt mm-hmm. and let him free. So people at home might not understand, like DNA is How- so important in these cases. It's so sophisticated and it's so important. Yeah, 100%. Okay, so um, also the night of the... Okay, and also this FBI profiler told me this too. When people are involved in crime, they go to the crime scenes. He said, when you go... He said, if you're a fire investigator and a home is lit on fire and you think it's arson, he said, uh, firemen will actually, like, when they're doing their investigation, film the crowd because nine out of ten times the arsonist goes. This is like Like, this is like the making a murderer thing where that guy who was convicted of like setting up all these fake crimes kept going to the people's trials and they said that he was at Steve Avery's trial. Well, so anyway, so the reason I'm telling you that is because the the night of the murder, um, the how they found out that it was Duran Bailey is Diane Parker comes down because obviously it's right by her apartment, their apartment. There's a huge police presence. She waves down an officer and she says, like, I know who that is. Like, oh, wow. what are you doing? Yeah, that sounds kind of crazy. That's almost like something that makes me be like, maybe they are innocent because, like, if you did it, you would never go up to police and be like, I know who the dead guy is. I, I I don't know if Diane had anything to do with it. If her boyfriend and his friends did it on um, their own, had to do with it. But I can tell you that her boyfriend. So Diane Parker died of uh, liver cirrhosis um, a few years back. Steve, her boyfriend is named. Ex, well, they're not together anymore. Stephen King signed an affidavit saying he knows who killed Duran Bailey, and it was Diane Parker's friend. So there was these guys that were in the country illegally. Mm-hmm. And um, and so uh, one of my theories is they had something to do with the murder because after the murder, they they vanished. They were never heard from again. Okay. So let's. what year is this whole thing taking place? This was the first... I'm trying to remember. I think it was... It wasn't 2001. It was 2006 because her first trial was... I'm trying to think. Let me let me just look that up. Okay. I forget exactly. But it's been roughly ten years. While you look it up, I'll say roughly right. ten years. Okay. And so when do you think the boyfriend signed the affidavit that says that Oh, he signed the affidavit. That's like part of the new evidence that got her um, a retrial? A retrial, yeah. Okay. So he and he's still alive. Stephen King, yeah. Yeah. And the affidavit is new. So Yeah. So this case and Kirsten Lobato has been in jail for like eight plus years, if I remember correctly, according to your reporting. 2001. It was July 8th, 2001 is when uh, Duran Bailey was found. 15 years ago. And how long has she been in jail? She was in for the first trial and then she got she got convicted once and then she got out in 2006 while she was waiting for her retrial. And then she has been in there since that second trial, which started in 2006. Okay, so basically more or less for the last 15 years with one brief hiatus. Yeah, when she was out, it was like less than a year. I think it was like 10 months. Okay, so more, so basically yeah. 15 years. So how okay. does she, we haven't even Here gotten go. to her yeah. in the story. Okay, so exactly. So this is, okay, so that is, that is, that's, concrete, hard evidence, the facts of what we know about the murder. DNA, gum, male semen, knife cut off, knife in bad place, you don't want knife, etc. Yeah, so let's rewind to May. So a full two months before the murder, right? Okay. Okay, so Mm -hmm. two months before the murder. Blaze was um, unfortunately doing drugs. She was on meth. She was working as a stripper, okay? No, I mean, it, it is what it is. It doesn't look great, but that is 100%. Okay. Okay, so this is May. Mm-hmm. She lived, okay, so in she, where she lived is completely 
far away from where Duran Bailey lived, where his body was found, all of that. Okay? So we're talking two different areas of town. Okay. So, in May, Blaze was getting off work as a stripper, had a shit ton of cash. She said a guy came up behind her. This is May, keep in mind. Grabbed her. And she kept a butterfly knife on her. Um, she had cowboy boots on at the time. She kept a butterfly knife on her because she always had cash and whatever. She's in the seedy um, part so of town. She's in a seedy part of town. Mm-hmm. So this guy um, gets her to the ground. Um, he starts to take off his pants, take out his penis to rape her because she had on like a little skirt. She grabs her butterfly knife and slashes somewhere in the groin area. Okay. okay. Yep. Okay. So this is May. This guy that attacked her is not Duran Bailey. Okay. And this is confirmed. This is. I mean, well, this we've never found the person that uh, that did that to her. Uh huh. But when she and we'll get to the confession and all that. Uh huh. Um. But. She has never seen Duran Bailey. Oh, she has now, but she had no idea who that person was when she was in trial. Okay, so she's okay. So she is claiming May that she slashed someone guy, else. She's claiming it. This guy. She gets away. She's hysterical, right? Mm-hmm. She goes to this guy's house, and she's like showering, and she's hysterical. And this guy's trying to. His name's Steven Kozowski. It's like P Z Y K O. It's some crazy last name. But anyways, I talked to him for the story. Uh huh. Um, I was like, I was like, when did she come to your house? How do you know it was May? Da, 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 da. Um, and so, yeah, she was hysterical, came to his house, and showered. And Blaze told me, like, after that attempted rape, she was on drugs. She was being a stripper. She was like, I need to get my life together, right? Mm-hmm. So pretty much after that rape, she went back to her hometown of Tanaka which is 160 miles. It's about two and a half hours from Las Vegas. Okay. Okay. So Panaka is like the smallest town in the world, like teeny tiny small. Middle right? of the desert, nothing going on. It's it's so bad, yeah. It was not bad, I shouldn't say that, but just like not, you know. So It's not anyways, the place so that you dream of growing up. Exactly. So Blaze goes back to like the small town, and I talked to her teacher, and uh, Dixie Tinkin, and the way that her teacher described it was Blaze was like, yeah, I slashed this guy that tried to, like, da-da-da-da-da, like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or, like, just telling people about it. And then, um, and then so, so it was, like, a few weeks after she, so keep in mind, this is May. Yep. This is May. May of 2001. May of 2001. She goes. She goes to Dixie Tinkin, that teacher, and she's like, you know what, like, I'm I'm actually, like, nervous, like, what if something happened to that guy, like, whatever, and so she sat down with her teacher, and they started Googling, like, you know, man sounds sad, man, like, and there was, like, nothing that came up, because Blaze said when she slashed the guy and got away from him, he was crying, or like, oh, like, whatever, when he, when she left, so... Her teacher was like, you know, you said he was crying, so he was probably okay. You know what I mean? Like, he just was, you know, you cut him. Like, he, I don't think he, you know what I mean? Yeah, and this is well before the murder. Yeah, it was, and so this is two months. So the amazing thing is, like, I've heard, like, people, like, this one attorney for Blaze has said, like, it's amazing because somehow she predicted a murder, like, before it happened. You know uh-huh. what I mean? Yeah, okay. Okay, so. so let's get to how, let's get to how she's, she gets looped into this. So there is, at her high school, there is a school resource officer named Laura Lori Johnson, okay? Okay. Lori Johnson hears about Blaze's attack, right? Blah, 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 Okay, nothing happens, nothing happens, right? Um, and then um, Duran Daly's found dead. Right? Okay. Lori Johnson picks up the phone, calls Metro Police, and says, I have a woman who says, who's, yeah, who says she slashed a guy's penis. 
and just like loops it into a death that happened even though the timeline doesn't make any sense at all. Also, Blaze never talked to Lori Johnson about it. So, so she's hearing it third hand. Her word for it when it's like, a, I've never been to Panaka, but like the way I imagine it is like, she said this and this and this and this and this, okay? So the day that Lori Johnson calls Metro Police, they drive up to Panaka and arrest her. Just based on a third-party phone call for something yeah, like that. Yeah, a third-party phone call. Like, and, like, her, her, if you watch my story, like, her, her lawyer even gets confused explaining it to me. He's like, he's like, Blaze told Dixie that Blaze told Lori that, the, and he was like, because, it, like, it's, like, so, like, how, how who, it, I, what my personal opinion is, Lori Johnson is a small-town cop and wanted to look like she solved a big murder, is what I think. Okay, and so this woman is a cop, or she's just, like, a know-it-all? She's a school school officer, yeah. So, like, like the smallest form. I always say there's nothing more fun than pretend authority, because, like, you can just wield it however you want, but in the end it means nothing, so we feel like maybe she's a pretend authority type of person. Yeah. Okay. I think she she's boring bored in Panaka mm-hmm. and I think that um that she wanted to look like she put you something know, together. To like a bitch shot. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, so police drive up to Blaze okay. and they said, You killed someone. Mm-hmm. You remember that remember that yep. guy you admitted to cutting? Yeah. He's dead. And she you can hear her in in the audio tape because they recorded it. She's hysterical because and she she's thinks like, it's oh the. Oh my god! I killed someone! Like oh my! She doesn't say I killed someone, but she's freaking out because she thinks it's the guy from May. She killed him because, and so keep in mind, like this has been two months. So she like thought that he just died or they just found her or something. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, and she's thinking of the guy outside the strip club from May. Which also the exactly. idea that she's like that hysterical about maybe killing someone but the dude was trying to rape her is like yeah. I mean, that alone is just kind of a very unfortunate where like she's according to the story, very much defending herself. So it's all psychologically like right. crazy and weird. Right. And so so that is how she was arrested, and I, I have I have this like a thing that makes me feel nauseous actually when I think about it because she was arrested for the crime, mm-hmm. and she told me that she was in court, like for her preliminary hearing. They put up Duran Bailey's photo, and she was like, "Who the fuck is that?" Wow. Because she had never seen him before. Wow. And so. So let's say let's say that you believe okay, let's say you, you think um Blaze did it. Let's just say that you think that she did. Then explain how there is none of her DNA at the crime scene. This so imagine this because when she was when this whole murder happened, she was eighteen, she was ninety pounds because she was on mesh, she was so skinny. Mm-hmm. So and this guy's this guy was beaten. Like he has the giant black eyes, like Diane Parker. Mm-hmm. And 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 she left no DNA there. Yep, and no then DNA also like random far. male and then also somehow male DNA was left. Right. And so um so so if she beat this, and so if she beat this guy, right? Mm-hmm. Like she, like her DNA would be there. His blood would be in her car. You know, like even if she went and got her car washed because it had, you know, bit. I don't. I, if if she had gotten her car washed, like it would still show up with luminol. It was there was nothing. Yeah, there would be some type of blood on her blood in some area somewhere. Also, like the fact that Duran Bailey was. Um, Convicted of attempted murder means he was probably in a drug dealer, not a drug dealer, um, like uh, just like it's been arrested for a whole bunch of stuff. Like you, you'd think he'd be street savvy enough to like take on an eighteen-year-old. Yeah, that weighed ninety pounds and was addicted to meth. The whole like right. her going to a nearby place to shower always sits weird with me when that stuff happens, where it's like. You don't want to take stuff to your own home, so you're like go somewhere else to shower off. Like well, that's a real thing. She, yeah, well, because she was living um, 
at the budget suite okay. at the time. Okay. And so, um, and she was attacked, um, I believe, right outside of her apartment when she was walking home or coming home from the strip club. Okay, which is like very different location than where Duran Bailey was killed. Oh, not even, not even close. So they're yeah. saying that four months later, the same guy died of an injury that happened somewhere else, and also all this male semen was not, added, and he had, like, fresh Blaise, wounds. Not the, yeah, according to Blaze, it's not the same guy. Yeah, not even the same guy. Okay, so right. this seems, like, pretty obvious. How does she end up in prison? Well, it's, it's like, a lot of things. Um, I believe that... She's, her family doesn't have money. She had, like, a public defender, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and if you watch she, Making a Murderer, you know that public defender's goal is just to basically side with the state and make stuff go as quickly as possible. Right. So in the first trial, what feels it... Okay, so first off, uh, I believe that the detectives in this case, once they had that confession from her where she said, like, I, you know, she said, like, I didn't think anyone would miss someone like that. He attacked me. So once they had those words, that's what their entire case was built on. Even though there was 30 people that placed her in Panaka during from that day. July 1st until the day she was arrested. Wow. Yeah. And clearly, and like, so, that guy was killed from something that happened that day, Duran Parker, not something that happened months before. Duran Bailey. Duran yeah. Bailey, yeah. Bailey, yeah. So, um, so the thing that really sealed her fate is, um, in the first trial, is this lady named Corinda Martin was in prison with Blaze. Okay? She wrote to the prosecutor and said, I want to tell you about Blaze. Like, she was bragging about this in prison, da 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 right? Okay. So, Corinda Martin is on the stand, right? This is the, the um, this is inmate. From, this is a girl from, so we don't need to call her Corinda. So, a girl from Blaze's, when Blaze is in prison. An inmate, uh, yeah. held for her trial. Yep. Says, hey, she writes to the prosecutor and says, hey. Um, I have some information about Blaze, like she about the murder, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. Here, so she's brought to the trial, and they so and then the prosecution interviews her. The judge would not let Blaze's attorney cross-examine that lady from prison. Even though that's part of due process, isn't it? Even though you can cross-examine a witness. Yeah, that's so literally a thousand percent of due process. So Blaze is convicted. It goes to the Nevada Supreme Court. The Nevada Supreme Court says, no, no, no. You can't not let someone cross-examine. Why would a judge make that decision? This judge got taken off the bench. I would personally like every case that she tried be re-looked at because that is how awful she was in this case. Just in terms of like not knowing the rules or just disregarding them completely? Both. I think that there's a problem when it's hard because the prosecutors know the judges. They work with the judges all the time. The prosecutors know the police. The judges know the police. You know what I mean? So they they, they let things kind of slide and because they're all, we're all, we're all friends here. You don't need to cross-examine this person. You know what I mean? It sounds bad, but that's truly what I believe. Yeah, like, we're all friends here. You don't need to cross-examining. Let's just write down what she said the first time. We, we're going to take her story as truth and just keep it moving. And so, and so the Nevada Supreme Court sent it back. Fun yeah. fact, in Nevada, I, there might be other states too, but in Nevada, if the Supreme Court rules there's a problem with uh, a trial, it, by law, has to go back to that same judge. Oh, gross. Exactly. So, when I interviewed... The judge already convicted her the first time, so it was like, who cares? Well, well, also, he said, he said, um, he was like, it shouldn't be like that because... Now, the prosecutor's got an attitude problem. The judge has an attitude problem. They're pissed, and she looked like shit. Yeah. 
And it, it also is just like, I can't believe this made it back onto our docket again. We already did this. We already finished this. Like, let's just, let's just maybe make sure we're good and keep going. Right. So, um, retry. So another the, thing that I do want to add really quick is Blaze. Um, when she went back to Panaka, mm-hmm. um, she had did like a bad batch of meth and got super duper sick and was in the hospital from like, I, I don't remember the exact day, but pretty much the day of the murder um, and got out like the day of the murder. But her blood was drawn, so we know she was actually there. Because it's um, verified. But you can drive, obviously, from Panaka to Las Vegas. So the the defense, uh, I mean, sorry, the prosecution's theory is that she drove two and a half hours um, to buy meth from Bailey. Uh, they got in a fight, and then she killed him and drove back. Okay. First so off, unrelated. So they're saying unrelated to the slashing of the penis from months before, this woman drove all the way to Las Vegas to buy meth from a person that they have no prior connection with and then slashed off his penis, left a bunch of male DNA, and drove all the way back. Well, and also, they give her eight minutes to commit the murder. Their time frame. Which is kind of insane for given the way that you've described the body. Well, it was beaten to death. Like, it was, his penis was cut off. Like, he had teeth knocked out of his mouth. Like, he, like eight minutes? Like, I can't do anything in eight minutes. Especially if you're a 90-pound meth addict fighting, like, a supposed drug dealer. <laughs> right? Like, I'm just like, eight minutes? Like, eight minutes? Like, anyway, so that's just a fun, yeah. So, anyway, so she is convicted. The Supreme Court steps in on her behalf, and she's out, um while she's waiting for her second trial. Okay. And um, and so the second trial goes back to Judge Vega, who, like I said, I don't know what was happening with her mm-hmm. her entire career, pretty much. Okay, because you've looked so, at other cases, and it's not always a good-looking thing. She got taken, no, she was, she was taken off the bench. Yeah, it's that bad. Okay, gotcha. So she goes back to the judge, and what does the judge say, like, now they have a new trial. They have a second trial. Yep. So, the second trial, the judge lets, it, first off, does not allow um, the majority of witnesses that put Blaze in Kanaka all through the murder. She doesn't allow them to talk. She doesn't allow the guy that said that Blaze went to his house in May after someone tried to rape her. She doesn't allow a whole bunch of stuff. And then allows, um, like, faulty evidence, not faulty evidence, but, like, just, like, weird stuff that, like, was in the, the prosecution's favor. Mm-hmm. And stuff like they, there was, like, this is going to get confusing, so I'm hesitant to talk about it. But basically, like, they, um, they did, like, luminol tests in the car, and then nothing came back. And then so they had, like, a luminol expert that, like, wasn't allowed in the first trial testify that sometimes blood, blah, 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 blah. You know what I mean? So the second trial was 100% different than the first trial. Okay. The retrial completely different. It was a different. totally different trial. Okay. But yet So they never still... talked about her sexual assault. Okay. They didn't talk about, they couldn't really talk about her being in Panaka. They just talked. They just talked about oh, some little meth head, you know, blah blah. You know what I mean? Yeah, there's not a lot going on related to any actual tangible evidence. Right, and then so right. So when I watched the first trial, I thought it was going Blaze's way until that prisoner from the prison lady was like, "Oh, she told me she did it." Da 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 da. Uh huh. Um, but. Which could be like she thought, it sounds like she thought she did until all of a sudden she saw and was like, I've never met that person before in my life. What's going on? Yeah, so maybe that too, but also that lady um, was promised if she testified that she'd get a lower sentence, number one. Which is so time off her sentence. Which is so so bad. Yeah. Number two, we have letters that she would 
write to people, basically, like, say, like, basically, she would do anything to get out of prison. She wrote to one lady and said, tell your, uh, your parole officer that I need to be your, um, caretaker, like, tell them that I need to get out. This lady was just desperate to get out of prison. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, so second trial, basically no evidence related to putting Blaze not anywhere near Las Vegas during the time of the accident is allowed in. It's kind of a completely different trial. They have the expert, and then eventually the judge decides the same verdict. There, there was a, no, there was a, there was a, there was a jury. Oh, and the jury, so the jury convicted her. Yes. Is that like shocking to you? Yes. The first, the first trial, it, it felt like it was going her way until until that lady because um, then it just sounded so bad okay okay and so what's what and happens the second trial the second trial um they like it just it seemed like i it, it seemed bad from the beginning like blaze couldn't prove that she was in panaca um because the deck like was just, stacked against her because witnesses weren't allowed to be out there like a Yeah, for and, sure. Everyone who watches any that, crime shows knows that they investigate the semen like in the first five minutes. Semen was in his butt. Yeah. Yeah, so like so, that's hard for a Blaze to have done that. Exactly. So somebody was there and either that or he had just had sex with someone. There's somebody else that, you know, and so... um. Yeah, I just, yeah, the second trial just seemed like a totally different trial to me. It was like, it was, yeah. So you do stories on this. She obviously goes back to jail. She gets convicted a second time. How did you find out that your stories were part of what led to this trial being reopened? Well, so I have been, like, working on this case forever, and, like, I really hope that when it like, aired in Las Vegas, that it would, like, blow up, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And it did, it did well for my station, like, I mean, it did really well, but it would, didn't have that, like, effect that I wanted. I wanted people to be like, how the hell is this girl in there, you know? Yeah, for sure. Um, And so I started emailing, like, I emailed, like, Huffington Post, I emailed, like, Vice News, I emailed... Anybody, any journalist that I could think of, any lawmaker that I could think of, I kept harassing the NDOC, and um, and I kept trying to reach the Nevada Supreme Court because she appealed her second conviction to the Nevada Supreme Court. Okay. And and there's 72 grounds of new evidence that they found um, to get her a new trial. One of those was that affidavit by Stephen King who said... I don't know who Kirsten Blaze Lovato is, but she did not kill Duran Bailey. Because I know who did it, and it wasn't her. Exactly. Okay, so you harassed the Nevada Supreme Court, and then what? Eventually they decide to take the case? Well, so then they ruled, um, hey, uh, you guys do have some valid points, and they said that, um, that this needs to get again, fucking A, gets sent back down to the same court. Thank God Judge Vega Was is pushed off, is the, taken off the bench. Yeah. But the prosecutor on this case is now a judge. Oh, wow. Okay, the prosecutor. So, okay. So, one, what if he gets it? Two, judges know each other. Is it going to be easy for the judge to go, you know what I mean? To turn over something that a fellow judge won as a prosecutor? Exactly, yeah. Wow, okay. Wow, so there seems like there's a lot of interior conflict. So So does she have a court date set? December 20th. Oh, wow. So you, I mean, that's two and a half, three weeks away. So you must be anxious to 
cover the next part of the story. Yeah, um, I just, I feel for Blaze. Mm-hmm. Um, because, first off, when she went to prison, she was 18 years old. Like, we, I, I, I don't want to tell someone that she didn't do it. I want to just tell you, like, check out the evidence. Like, it is, it's not even close. Like, it is, I don't know what happened. But yet, somehow, a jury worth of people convicted her, despite the semen in the butt. Like, it's amazing that you feel so much like it's not even close, and yet a room full of 13 people were able to put this 18-year-old in jail. Yeah, but at the same time, the way that she was portrayed was a stripping, mess-riddled, who couldn't remember anything um, type of person, and... What I would say is, like, even, you don't need to, you need to look at the evidence. Mm-hmm. And even if you think, even if you think Blaze did it. In eight minutes. There has never been anything that's ever tied her to this murder. Yep. Okay, they used her confession. That is how they got the conviction. Yeah. was her confession, which wasn't a confession. Yeah, because it was about something completely different. Exactly. So, I would say there's more to this story. There's another person involved in a murder out there. And they may or may not be still in Las Vegas, or it could be the um, people supposedly from the affidavit that left the area. Right. Do you, and do you think they'll call right, the... There's so many questions about this police work. To me, it's like, why didn't they go and take the shoes of people that the woman because if a woman says she's raped and the guy turns up dead we need to talk to that woman yeah yeah no that makes sense Why too did they go to that apartment and take her boyfriend's shoes and match it to the sh- and look to see if it matched the shoe prints at the crime scene yeah why it, didn't they do that why didn't they follow up with diane parker more or whatever if they had looked into her rape and she felt like police were doing the right thing, I don't think Duran Bailey would have ever been killed. Yeah. Or even if they were killed and they followed up correctly, they probably would have been looking in that direction instead of the phone call from a safety officer from 120 miles away getting this girl in jail for 15 years. I think that the detective on this case, um, Detective Towson, Mm-hmm. Just thought it was going to be another check mark case solved. Just do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so, especially once he had that confession, he was like, "Oh, done how?" Deal. So is she in life in prison right now? Um, no. The second time she got convicted of manslaughter. Okay. But listen, the judge. Okay, so she got convicted of manslaughter and necrophilia. Okay, gross. Even though it's impossible, well, it's not impossible, but like the male semen is still unexplained. 100% unexplained. So she got a charge for having sex with a dead body post mortem when there's no well, DNA. Well, there was like a knife wound. There was knife wounds in his ass, too. Yeah, but, there's, the but there's no evidence that, like, did they do DNA on the handle of the knife and all that stuff? Got it. And so yeah. she got a necrophilia charge for something that has zero for DNA t- zero and DNA tied to her. The judge, the judge, sweet lady, sentenced her for, I don't remember what the parameters were, but it was like t- zero to ten years ten for, for the manslaughter charge and then like ten to thirty for the necrophilia charge or whatever, right? Uh-huh. Or whatever. The, I can tell, I don't remember the, what the exact times were but the judge the judge that convicted her the first time same judge the second time gave her the maximum for both wow so the maximum necrophilia and manslaughter and the necrophilia charge was actually um longer than the manslaughter charge which seems crazy to me because necrophilia is like set like sexual crimes on a dead body it seems like now no she's a pedophile now 
Yeah, which seems oh why it was the, or not a pedophile, a sex offender, I'm sorry. Yeah, a sex offender. Which to me is like yeah. crazy that that would happen because you're saying that this all happened within like minutes of that person eight dying. Oh, yeah, she raped him in eight minutes. Like, eight and not minutes, only did she like, rape him in eight minutes, but he was dead enough for the secondary conviction to be a necrophilia conviction. Also, which makes no sense in eight the minutes. Prose- the prosecution's theory is that she went down there, found Bailey, tried to buy meth from him, had an argument with him, like. Kill- like I think she said she offered to exchange sex and then changed her mind and then killed him. Like uh, that is eight minutes. That's an eight minute argument right there. Not even talking about how, and, how long the murder took. And then she killed him, knife wounded his butt, his ass, removed his penis, <laughs> yeah. and then inserted. It's super graphic. I'm sorry. And then inserted male semen. It seems pretty pretty intense. That's so, like, that's a really busy eight minutes. There. That's a busy eight minutes. It's, it's and then like so, this one person. This, uh, then there's also this guy that I have to tell you about. His name is Stephen Jackson. Okay. He's he's amazing. He um he was a, a reporter for a local station here in Las Vegas, and um there was like a huge boom in meth, um like meth deaths and meth sales and. Or whatever, and so his news director was like, "Hey, we need to do a story about meth, right?" Okay. And so this guy, Stephen Jackson, says, um, "He's like, oh, actually, I know a girl from my hometown that was that was convicted of killing a guy from meth. Like, I'm I'm going to try and interview her." And the news director was like, "Perfect, right?" Okay. So same thing. He goes to the mom. She says, "Look at the case file." And then he, like, goes through everything, had the same, like, epiphany, like, and then he went back to his news director and was like, I can't do this story because she didn't do it. Yeah. And and now he's a lawyer and he works on the case. Oh, wow. And is he going to represent her or no? He he does. He does, like, a lot of stuff for her, um, a lot of it pro bono. Okay. And... Um, and he's the one that was like helping me, trying to. Uh, he's the one that wrote that article about me. Gotcha. The fighting and with the NDOC. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, he um, he told me that he was like she's either like actually the greatest criminal in the world, or she didn't do it because how did she not leave any any DNA there? Get someone else's DNA. Have no DNA in her car. Like and do it all in eight <laughs> minutes. And he, like she's a, she's a mastermind, and I have no one see her in Las Vegas. Right. Yeah, that's crazy. Well, we'll have to check back in with you, uh, like after December twenty first, when the next court case happens, and see right. what comes from there. I'm sorry, I like can talk about this case so much because, like I said, I'm so passionate about it. Yeah, um, I can tell, and I it's interesting. Like it makes sense. Ruined a girl's life. Yeah, no, that's the worst, and you can't get that time back. And even if she gets out of jail, they're like, I have, um, I have close family friends who work on people who are wrongfully convicted of the death penalty. <laughs> And even when those people get out of jail after like 30 years of being wrongfully so committed and they win like million dollar lawsuits, they have no education, they have no structure, they don't know how to fit in society, and there's no amount of money that gets that time back. It's it's really hard. Well, but it was, how it was said to me is um, it's cheaper to keep her in prison than to pay her wrongful terminate her wrongful conviction you know yeah what I mean? mm-hmm. no i agree i agree it probably is, is which we shouldn't be making we shouldn't be making legal decisions with someone's life based on what's more cost effective oh no absolutely but the reason that i will say that we are at that corrupt point is tell me why the clark county district attorneys will not test the dna why won't we test the dna yeah is it because we don't know the answer yeah they just they're afraid what the dna is going to say because it's going to cost their county because, and their prison system so much money because the innocence project said we will pay for the dna testing so it's not the money it's the fact that they're worried that if that turns up the wrong thing that could mean i mean it makes sense if you're running a business and they're like if we do this 
Best case scenario, nothing changes. Worst case scenario, we owe millions of dollars and get ridiculous amounts of negative press. And I'm running that business. I'm trying real hard to make sure we don't do that thing. Well, and if that's not the case, if there is some other um, reason, I would love for them to talk to me about it. They refuse to talk to me about this case. Ugh. Ugh. Cindy, well, you're a superstar. Your reporting's amazing. Your stories are always fascinating. You always get the good ones. Um, so we're going to have to follow up when the next trial happens. And then also, I also want to talk all about the fact that you have like this really close association with the Syrian refugee family. But we don't have time to do it on this episode. So that'll I'm be the next sorry. one. Yeah, you would never talk my ear off. You're fascinating. Well, how do people follow you and tell you did such a great job and they're interested? How do people follow you on Twitter and everything else so that they can follow up on on this story? Well, um, yes, I'm on Twitter at Cindy Lundeberg. I'm also on Facebook, and me and that. You got to spell. Come on, you're a professional here. Spell your name first and last so people can at, actually follow you. At C-Y-N-D-I. L-U-N-D-E-B-E-R-G. Always looking for new followers, obviously. See, this is how you promote yourself. <laughs> but what I was going to say is um, me and that attorney that was the former reporter yep. um, who's not working on this case, um, he wants to do a podcast. So we were actually talking today about that. So we're hoping to do um, something on this and other murder cases that I've done. Okay. And yeah. Well, get me involved in it. I mean, I don't know That's if you've awesome. heard, but I happen to have a podcast and a lot of I experience. Never telling you this. So if you need somebody who maybe facilitates some discussion, considering this one went on, on a lot longer than we expected, I'm I think worried. I think I know a guy who can facilitate a discussion or two. Yeah, I know. I told you this case was complicated. I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. Don't apologize. It was amazing. It was fascinating. You're always a great interview and you're doing great stuff out there. So keep on keeping on because the more amazing stories you uncover, the better my podcast gets. So Cindy. Yeah, I love you. And seriously, if people have questions about this case, like, oh, are you sure of this? Or like, like, I want to answer any questions you have. Also, every document that I was talking about has been put online by her attorneys. So you can literally look at this for yourself and I'd say don't listen to me because obviously I've been doing this for a year. I know what I think. Like you should form your own opinions and look at everything. All right. Well then spell out the name of the accused person so somebody can Google it if they, if they want. It's K I R S T I N. And then her last name is Lobato. Kirsten Lobato. L O B A T O. All right. All right, I think we got it all. So make sure you hit up Cindy on Twitter or hit me up at DSpin for the win. That's the number. Subscribe to the Morning Deuce podcast. We have interviews every week. Not everyone's as cool as Cindy, but some people are pretty sweet. So I hope you enjoy their stories too. And I think we're done. Now you just got to tell them, you know, give them a good old hashtag, tell your hot friends, and we're out of here. Tell your hot friends. Oh, you're the best, Cindy. Bye. Bye.